Well, our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 23 to verse 31, and that can be found on page 912 of the Church Bibles, and it's also going to appear on the screen. So uh, verse 23 begins, when they were released, that's referring to Peter and John, the apostles, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, before we look at that together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time to gather around it now. We pray that as we do, your spirit would be at work in our midst, that you would uh, open our eyes to see you, Lord God, uh, that your, your spirit would work deep in our hearts Uh, and that we would have a a deeper knowledge and understanding and love for you as a result of the time that we spend here now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I I wonder if you are someone who looks at the glass as half full or as half empty. As a lifelong supporter of the Scotland national team, I have been conditioned into a half-empty view of things when it comes to our team's fortunes. Uh, And that attitude has prepared me for the upcoming games that we have in the next week. Uh, Right now, Scotland are flying high. They are at the very top of their qualification group for Euro 2024. But before you make any plans for a tour of Germany next summer to follow the Scottish team, uh, be prepared because in the next week, Scotland will play Norway and they will face the, the, the footballing cyborg Erling Haaland. And uh, when that happens, uh, the chances are that our fortunes may very quickly uh, take a turn for the worse. Uh, That is the life of a Scottish football fan, and I am prepared for it. 
Uh, and, and life can be like that sometimes, can't it? One minute you're riding high, things are going great, and then all of a sudden it comes crashing down. An unexpected uh, loss of a job, a, a relationship breakup, a, a routine visit to the doctor that reveals a, a, a serious illness, a, a global pandemic. There are all sorts of unpleasant things that can come along in life when things seem to be going well. That's true in life, and it is certainly true in the life of the church when things are going well, when God's people are faithful to God's mission, and the church is sharing the gospel and making an impact. You can be absolutely sure that opposition won't be far behind. That's been the consistent experience of the church throughout its history, right back to the very beginning. Today we're continuing our series in the early chapters in the book of Acts, and we've been thinking about the power that God gives His people to fulfill His mission. We've seen that, that Jesus' call to His followers to be His witnesses was preceded by a promise. In chapter 1, verse 8, he tells his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And it's that promise of power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that makes all the difference when the church faces opposition. Uh, last time we looked at Acts chapter 2, and we had this incredible picture of the early church, uh, this radical, dynamic, caring, outward-facing, devoted Christian community who were so empowered by God's Spirit, we're told in Acts chapter 2 verse 47 that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Things were going so well. The church was thriving. Uh, and those early believers, as they looked at the future, as they looked ahead, they could have been forgiven for thinking that, that, that it would just continue to be plain sailing, that things would grow and grow and grow, and things would get better and better and better until Jesus returned. But if anyone was thinking that, well, they were quickly brought back down to earth with a bump. Just a couple of chapters on, at the beginning of chapter 4, we're told that Peter and John, two of the apostles, two of the key leaders of the early church, and two of Jesus' original 12 disciples, Luke tells us that after preaching one day to a crowd in Jerusalem, they were arrested by the Jewish authorities, who we're told in verse 2 of chapter 4, were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. These authorities were furious that these guys were preaching the gospel. When the church is faithful to the gospel, opposition, hostility is a fact of life. And we need to be very aware of that. As a church, we have been the recipients of incredible blessing. Just a little over 10 years ago, we were a handful of people in a living room. And now, here we are, 
a, a diverse community gathered from all over the globe. God has provided for us in amazing ways. We have seen people come to faith, lives changed, people sent out from here to, to minister in other parts of Scotland and across the world. We've seen ministries to refugees established, and, and we've partnered with all sorts of, of different organizations that care for the needs of others. We've established partnerships with, with churches at home and abroad who've supported us and, and who we have been able to support. We've been privileged to form deep relationships in this community where people love one another and care for one another, where lifelong friendships and even marriages have been established. And now God has given us this amazing building right in the heart of the most densely populated street in Scotland to advance his mission. Should we expect opposition, challenges, frustrations, disappointments? You better believe it. Wherever the gospel is flourishing, opposition won't be far behind. But if things were only ever meant to be easy, then we would have no need for the power that Jesus promised his people. The power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that power that we need to rely on when we face opposition. A power that ought to cause us to pray. And that's exactly what we see happen in the passage that we're looking at today. If you look with me at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, if we were to read up to this point in chapter 4, we'd get a description of what had happened to Peter and John after they were arrested uh, by the authorities. We're told that they were warned to stop telling people about Jesus. Luke tells us, verse 21, that they threatened them, these authorities, they threatened them before letting them go. And so at the beginning of our passage, we have Peter and John relaying those warnings and threats to the other believers. Now, I wonder how you would feel if you were part of the church that were gathered in that room. Two of your key leaders have just been released, and the powers that be have warned them and threatened them. And those warnings and threats, they weren't just reserved for them. They applied to anyone who would dare keep talking about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be pretty scared. I'd find that pretty unsettling. The temptation would certainly be there to heed the warning and stay silent. But that's not what they did. No, when they heard the warning to shut up or else, we read verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Instead of shutting up, they shouted out. Their response to the threat of persecution was to pray. And it's in their prayer that we see the, the perfect remedy to opposition, to the fear, 
of others. And that is to focus on God. But what was it about God that they focused on that gave them the courage to keep going? Well, it's the same truth that we need to remind ourselves of today if we are going to boldly stand in the face of opposition. And fundamentally, it boils down to this. When we face opposition, we need to recognize that God is in control. God is in control. Look with me at verse 24 again. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So the earthly authorities, they had the power to persecute these Christians. They could threaten them. They could throw them in prison. Some would even face execution for their faith. And it would be so easy to be consumed with fear in the face of such formidable power. But these believers, they, they, they didn't spend time worrying about that or, or, or strategizing or thinking of ways to, to avoid problems. They lifted their eyes and they fixed their gaze on a far higher authority. The one who ruled over all things, over the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The one who was ultimately in control. When we face opposition, it is so easy to fix our eyes on those who are hostile. To worry, to become fearful and anxious, to allow the opinions and the attitudes of others to control us, to dominate our thoughts and to bring us down. When we do that, we allow people to become big and God to become small. We gaze at those who are hostile and we only glance at God. And when that happens, fear replaces faith and our witness to the world suffers. And that is why we need to take heed of what these believers did, to respond to hostility as they did. When they heard the report from Peter and John, they, they barely glanced at the hostility, at the warnings and the threats. Instead, they lifted their gaze to the sovereign Lord of the universe who rules all things. And it's when we lift our eyes to him, as we dwell on his sovereign rule, we gain an understanding of his purposes, an understanding that ought to have a profound effect on our approach to opposition. And we see it here in this prayer. If you look with me at verse 25, they continue, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then they recite a quote that comes from Psalm 2. Now, incidentally, notice uh, that they believed that what David said came from the Holy Spirit. In other words, these early Christians, they affirmed that their scriptures, what we would refer to as the Old Testament, were inspired by God. And the quote comes from a psalm that focuses on God's response to opposition. 
if we were to read on through that psalm, we'd see that all the powers of the earth put together and aimed in opposition to God are no match for him. That God laughs at the best that human hostility can offer. And he promises to deal with it. Now, the specific opposition in that psalm is directed against God, verse 26, and against his anointed. And in verse 27, these, these Christians, they unpack who that anointed one in Psalm 2 refers to. Psalm 2 finds its fulfillment in Jesus. If you look with me there, verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The hostile nations of Psalm 2 were represented both in the Jewish and the non-Jewish authorities who were responsible for Jesus' death. But it wasn't just the authorities, the, the, the Jews and the Romans who were responsible, the crowds who bade for Jesus' blood, they too had that blood on their hands. Everyone was guilty, Jew and Gentile. All the nations were represented in hostility to God's anointed King Jesus. Jesus endured the worst suffering at the hands of sinful human beings. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was held up for public shame and disgrace. And he was executed. What happened to Jesus was unimaginably wicked. The ultimate demonstration of hostility. And yet all that that vile hostility did was serve God's sovereign purposes. If you read on, these, these people, they were gathered together against Jesus to do, verse 28, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. On the day of his death, as Jesus hung naked and bleeding on the cross, held up for public shame and derision, enduring the worst that humanity could throw at him. It must have looked like a humiliating defeat, a hopeless situation, a victory for evil. But the wonder of God's sovereign purposes was that it was in his humiliation that Jesus was glorified. It was in that seeming defeat that he was victorious. It was in what seemed like a, a hopeless situation that hope was won for the human race. It was in his death that forgiveness and eternal life were secured. The worst opposition that humanity has ever been guilty of played its part in God's plan to save a people for himself. Now, what do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? How can the worst example of human evil in the history of the world, Jesus' death at the hands of wicked men, 
How can that be at the same time part of God's sovereign purpose and plan? Well, the short answer is, I don't know. I don't know how God's sovereignty over all things, on the one hand, and human responsibility for wicked actions on the other, I don't know how they fit together. I've studied it for decades, but I don't have the answer. But what I can say is that throughout the Bible, those two truths are very clearly taught, that God is in control of all things and that human beings are responsible for their sin. An example of this would be in the book of Genesis. Uh, years after Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, Joseph reflects on it with his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, at the end of the book, and he explains to his brothers what you intended for evil, God intended for good. The same action was done with wicked intent on the part of Joseph's brothers who were jealous of him and wanted rid of him. But from God's perspective, it was the event that he would use to save many, many lives. The same action with two different intentions. And here in Acts, we, we see the death of Jesus willfully carried out by sinful human beings who were guilty of terrible evil for their actions. And yet God purposed and planned that it would happen so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. The same action was at the same time both the worst evil the world has ever seen but achieve the greatest good the world has ever known. Now, we might not be able to understand how those two truths fit together, but they do. And here's why when it comes to the opposition that we face, it's a good thing that God is sovereign over all things. Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he works out the good on those who love him in all things, not just good things, in all things, bad things too. It means that when we face hostility, when we endure false accusations, when we are intimidated or mocked, when we suffer at the hands of others, what, whatever wicked intent there might be, and however unjust, even in the worst hostility, we can recognize that God is sovereign, that He's in control, and that He is working out His purpose and plan even in those moments. Even if it's intended for evil from those who oppose us, God intends that opposition for good in the lives of His people. And when we realize that, it frees us to see two things. First of all, when we recognize that opposition is inevitable when the church is faithful, then it helps us to see beyond personal attacks to the deeper spiritual opposition that comes in any good gospel work. 
And secondly, when we recognize that God is working out his good purposes, even through the opposition that we face, that redefines our suffering. It allows us to see that no injustice, no hostility is ultimately meaningless or insurmountable. In the end, God will bring good out of our situation. And he always, always wins. Those who oppose God's people will face God's justice. They'll be responsible for their actions after all. And at the same time, God will use that opposition to further his mission and strengthen his church. And that reality, it ought to give us boldness to keep declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was exactly what these believers prayed for in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These believers, they knew that no amount of opposition could thwart God's purposes. They knew he was in control. But notice, they don't use that as an excuse to just sit back and do nothing and let God get on with it. They recognized that God fulfills his purposes, his mission, through his people. That God carries out his mission through his church. And so they prayed. They prayed. Not that the opposition would end, but for boldness to keep telling people about Jesus. When we recognize that even the worst opposition only serves to fulfill God's purposes, that God always wins, then the right response to that is to pray. To pray that God would give us the courage to keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. To pray that we will not lose heart. That we won't hide away in fear. To pray that we won't give up. But we'll keep going. And that's a prayer that God still answers today just as he did then. If you look with me at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See that in, in response to their prayer, God literally shakes the house. God gives them what they ask for. Notice that. They ask for boldness to speak, and it's given as a gift. God fills them with His Holy Spirit. They, they pray and they receive power. Now, these Christians, they already had the Holy Spirit. That's clear from what's gone before in the book of Acts. But here in this passage, what we see is a filling of God's Spirit to embolden His people to preach. Boldness is not a skill that we develop. It is a gift that we receive. And it's something that we need to keep asking for. Because sometimes we're bold and sometimes we're scared. Sometimes opposition grinds us down and leaves us feeling like we're running on empty. We become discouraged. 
by the comments of others or the headlines in our news articles, the disparaging remarks about Christianity or the hostility that we face from family or, or friends. And that is why we need to pray, to ask God to embolden us, to pray for power to proclaim Jesus, to pray that His Spirit would fill us with the strength, the courage that we need to keep responding to the call of our Lord Jesus to be His witnesses, whatever opposition we might face. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You that You are the sovereign Lord of all things, and You are in control. Lord, we can't understand all the intricacies of how that all plays out, but we can trust that ultimately you are working out your good purpose and plan in the lives of your people in all things, not just good things, in all things. So we pray that you would embolden us. We pray that your spirit would strengthen us that you would fill us with a, a, a passion and a heart and a, a courage to tell those around us about Jesus. When we thank you for the ways in which you are working out your good purposes in the life of this church, and we pray that that would continue. Thank you for the lives that are being changed, and we pray that we would see more of that. We pray for our community, this community around us where so many people need to hear the life-changing news of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would use us to preach that gospel, to share that glorious message with the people of Leith. Lord, we pray that today as we gather around this table to take bread and wine, you would refresh our hearts again, strengthen us, fill us, renew us as we remember the the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, the one who bore our sin, that we might know forgiveness and eternal life. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.